uh, that's the most important thing I think is, is if, if you're risk averse, then that's fine. You know, just acknowledge that, but build that into your model and uh, leverage it. Hey, hey, before we get into this episode, want to let you know that Blue Spruce has a 454 unit in Atlanta, Georgia. That market is booming. We're really excited about this particular property and we're excited to close it. And we want to close it with you. So if you want to be a part of this deal, it is for accredited investors only. So there's two ways. If you're accredited, awesome. Let us know. And if you want to raise money, awesome. Let us know. We'll give you a slice of the general partnership and you bring in your investors. So without further ado, here is today's episode. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, the win-win maker. Today, I'm here with Justin Grimes, and Justin is from Houston, Texas, but today he is on vacation in North Carolina. But Justin, thank you for still doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. How are you today? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me on today, Adam. Appreciate you coming on. So Justin Grimes has been involved in his business for about a year, and he's already done four really interesting transactions. What I like about these transactions is that Justin actually creates mortgage notes. So outside, it's kind of like a twist on the traditional fix and flip. So he goes in and fixes it, but when he flips it off to the buyer, he actually creates a mortgage note. And there's a lot of interesting ways that he can approach this by maybe doing an interest-only five-year balloon. Maybe he'll do uh, sell off a portion of the note and keep some of the back end of that note. So we're going to learn a lot of really, really cool things. Uh, Justin is also a fiduciary and helps his mother uh, get into multifamily and other types of passive assets. He's done over a thousand units so far with his mom's money. It's really interesting. We're going to get into that and uh, learn a lot about how you can really creatively do some real estate strategies. But I'm sure I missed a little bit. So Justin, what did I miss? Tell us a tiny bit about your background, how you got into this, and then we'll dive into the questions. Okay. Yeah, you bet. Well, um, yeah, I want to start um, by my wife would probably kill me if someone thought that we on this couch that I'm sitting on right now just because of the pattern. So she, she wouldn't care for it so much. Um, on the, uh, you know, as far as the real estate stuff goes, I had a, a condo uh, when I graduated school, got a W-2 income job, bought a bachelor pad on the water. It was pretty sweet. And uh, when I met my wife, uh, ended up deciding to just rent that. So uh, kind of you know, so why not? Let's, let's give it a shot and see, see what this is all about. So it did okay. It didn't cash flow very well, uh, per se, but it offered some tax benefits and things like that. So, um, you know, fast forward a little bit, uh, to 2016, um, my real interest in real estate went from more or less of a hobby to, uh, somewhat of a necessity. Uh, we lost my father in an, in an auto accident um, that, uh, you know, left us with, uh, you know, some decisions to make on how to take care of my mom and, uh, I guess basically generate income for her in her retirement year. She's a retired school teacher and does have income off of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, needed to make some additional, um, income that we weren't planning on. So, um, 
you know, I, I started reading and taking a lot of, uh, uh, not necessarily classes, but just networking and trying to figure out how wealthy people create and protect their money. And uh, so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the cash flow quadrant and kind of went down that whole rabbit hole and uh, really became interested in um, the multifamily space with apartments and uh, it's just all kinds of good stuff with uh, self-storage, with mobile home parks, with uh, your traditional single family variety of uh, cash flowing opportunities and just, just different ways to uh, generate income streams. So um, that was, that was uh, our first uh, bit of that you know, uh, went specifically to the multifamily space. Um, so yeah, that's how it got started though. I, I really like all, all of that. First off, I'm really sorry to hear about your father in the auto accident. And when we kind of look at, you know, these types of things, these things come up and they happen when we're pretty much least expecting them. I have a partner, his name's Manny. Um, he's been on the show multiple times, but Manny, uh, you know, kind of got into real estate in a similar way because his girlfriend, uh, you know, had an accident as well. And it, and it makes us think, you know, we've got to start getting that cash flow. We've got to start um, finding a way to get other sources of income. And it sounds like what you've done since then has been quite a bit. You've got a thousand doors cash flowing for your mother's retirement, and then you're building your business right now. And one year with four transactions might sound small to some people, but, but in actuality, there's a lot of people that spend a year or two and don't get anything taken care of. And so they kind of fall out of it. I'm, I'm really impressed with your drive and what you're doing. You have obviously been thinking outside the box to get to where you are. I have a, a lot of questions, but I want to start by just talking about maybe your very first deal. You have been into this for about 12 months. When did you come across your very first deal? Yeah, um, let's see. So I started out, um, I don't know, probably 18 months ago, um, going to meetups and things like that and looking to get involved locally. Uh, so I found through that a uh, deal and um, it just, it didn't go well. You know, I, I uh, just missed the, the whole budget, everything, you know, it, it was a poor flip through that became what my company is now, which is with a partner. Uh, so my partner does it full time. Uh, she is a full time flipper running two crews. I'm still working the W2 income job. So my scope is more raising the capital on the front end from investors and then plugging in um, on the back end, maintaining compliance. The first deal that she and I did together to get to your question, um, we found that through an auction, online auction. Uh, so, uh, she's constantly scouring the internet and, uh, as well as me, I'll send her deals. She's a, a realtor in the area so she can run all the comps and things like that, that I don't necessarily have access to. Um, and, uh, so we got that thing, uh, under contract. It was right around $50,000 purchase price, uh, and needed about $20,000 in rehab holding costs, all these kind of good things. And then, Ultimately, the ARV was $100,000, so, so it had a little bit of room uh, on the back end, uh, you know, some good space there. 
Perfect. Um, my first question on this deal, you said you purchased it with a strategic partnership by having a partner who can pull comps and do some of the things you can't do, especially since you have a full-time job, but you haven't made that an excuse. You're still doing these picks and flips. Mm-hmm. Um, you bought this for about 50, I think you said. You put in about 20K and you sold it for about 100K? That's right. I will have quite a bit of follow-up questions on that. My first one is just with you being involved in this business for about a year, 12 months, at which point in that cycle, uh, when did you get your first deal? How long did it take? Did it take Uh, a day, a week, or? When I partnered with her? Yeah. Yeah, we met for coffee. She and I met for coffee while I was going through my first flip prior to the relationship or the formation of this business. So we were sharing, you know, some of my battle stories. She was helping me trying to find a disposition it at the end to get just to get out from under it. I was over budget and stressed and strained and all that good stuff. So um so it took us once we said we were gonna partner on this, form this business and all that, uh I'd say ninety days we had a deal. Uh, in place. Part of that, you know, I wanted to, we needed private lending. Um, we we have, have some banking relationships that I was able to bring to the table. So to get the business set up and plug in lines of credit that would allow us to, to rehab without, uh, you know, certain, you know, sometimes when you use hard money and some of those other tools that are out there, there are draw inspections and things like that, that um, I had a bad experience with on my first flip. So um, anyway. Okay. I, it is, maybe it's this first flip that I, I really need to get into when right. you decided, when you decided that you wanted to be a fix and flipper, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to acquire that first deal? I'd With say that, yeah, this six, was six months. The, okay. Perfect. So I love it. Okay. This is, this is really good stuff for, for all of the listeners out there. Okay. They need to know this kind of stuff. It took about six months to get into that first one. It did. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, through meetups, through a lot of reading. Um, and, you know, at some point you just, I, I felt like I'd read, I needed to take action. You know, I, I, I you can only read so much in a book at some point. And certainly uh, on my first flip, I learned a heck of a lot more than I did through reading a book. So... <laughs> And I'm sure so, it's written somewhere. But. Ab- absolutely. But you learn it better by experiencing it for mm-hmm. sure. So that first one, some of the issues that came up as you were doing this was going over budget. That was one, right? That's right. Um, what was, uh, what, I think you said about three issues that came up. Uh, can you think of the other two? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, just just basic contractor management, setting the expectations, and then maintaining accountability. Uh, part of my issue, which gets into maybe the third, uh, so contractor issue was one. But what drove that ultimately, the root cause was my lack of a, ability to be there continually. Or you know, this is my first flip, uh, so I don't have a, a long tenured relationship with a crew or a GC or anything like that. So. Um, I was traveling a bunch, you know, I can remember, um, I'm in China, uh, for work on my W2 job. I travel internationally, uh, a couple times a year and they're putting in the wrong tile in the shower. My wife sends me a picture of the wrong tile. 
and I'm in, you know, across the world. So, uh, just, just things like that, uh, you know, seem to be, I could probably rattle off five other things just like that, that happened wrong flooring or, you know, they put this light in the wrong room. Um, and, it, uh, another thing that occurred on that was a title issue. Um, so we had basically right over an acre of land was in, uh, included in that transaction. And when I went to sell it, um, that was about, it was about 10% less than, uh, what was found by the title company I was using to sell it was that I own 10% less than I was representing to who I was trying to sell it to. So there, there was some misrepresentation by the previous owner. Uh, and ultimately, um, I was unable to, after kind of getting a lawyer involved and all that kind of stuff, the title company that I used to close the deal uh, and their insurance company did not uh, play ball and they rejected the claim. And uh, so I was unable to sell 1.1 acres of land. I had to sell under an acre and that impacted the final, you know, numbers that I had projected to to have some additional cushion there on the deal on the back end. So yeah, it was, it was quite the perfect storm. <laughs> wow. That, that does sound like a perfect storm. Um, may I ask you a few follow-up questions on some of these? Mm -hmm. First off, um, is there a way that you could share with the listeners to correct this title issue before they got involved into something like this? So, yeah, um, my biggest fault was we used an old survey um, and the title company said, okay, but, but uh, you know, my, I've written a little bit about this and my suggestion is if, if you are picking up a, a, a property where the land value is going to be in, involved in any uh, portion of valuation at the end when you come to disposition and sell uh, to just spend the $500 to get a new survey. You know, I mean, I, I lost thousands and thousands of dollars because I saved 500. So, that is perfect. I love it. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Um, so the next one that I wanted to touch on, and then we'll probably move on is going over budget. And I know that there's probably a lot of issues that made you go over budget. Part of it could have been that you, the contract, the management of the contractor was difficult by just not being there. So I guess my question is, if somebody's going to get involved into their first fix and flip, it takes them six months. They're, they're putting some of their actual cash into this deal. They want to be successful. I've actually known a lot of people that have gone over budget. So Justin, what could you have done? differently in that first one or what are you doing now that solves this issue of going over budget uh yeah the, the, um getting inspections done on the front end uh, the, this thing had termites when i went to sell it i found out so i had to tent the house it's um i have a picture of it maybe one day i'll write a book about this and that'll be the cover i've often thought so um that uh, is one thing. The other thing, you know, I was, it was my first time. So what would have been much smarter of me to do would have been to align myself with uh, a mentor and split, you know, split the investment partner on the deal ultimately and, and uh, utilize their, um, you know, what they've learned over the years and, and sharing the profit. You know, there's nothing wrong with not hitting a home on your first deal. Um, there's a lot to be learned 
and it's absolutely necessary to get out there and play ball. But um, when you uh, take on that additional risk without the real knowledge of, of how, the ins and outs and the, the risks of remodeling a 1950s home, which in Houston's kind of old, um, you know, there's just a lot of things when you open up those walls uh, that, that, that you didn't see when you were walking through it. All right. I think we've gotten a crazy amount of value, honestly. Uh, just <laughs> talking about this one deal where, where we've learned, I think, three main lessons. One is uh, to make sure that you're partnering up with some type of mentor or somebody who's done it before. The next one is always get an inspector. You're, you have to, have to, have to get this inspected. That would have solved several issues. And the third one is to do surveys, to do a land survey and to understand, you know, what part of this land is yours and what isn't. Um, so if you would have bought it right and known that it was 90% less, you would have saved yourself several thousand dollars. So a lot of really good lessons. The last question that I have on, on talking about this deal that took about six months to get involved in. And I think this will help a lot of listeners because I personally um, know some of the listeners and uh, that have actually been trying to do real estate for about two years straight. They haven't yet taken the leap to, to buy their first deal. You were able to do it in about six months. So what was it about your mindset or your determination that was different for you than it may be for somebody who's been involved for six to 12 to 24 months and still haven't done that deal? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that th there's no uh, blueprint to this thing. You know, I mean, everybody's got to uh, get there on their own time. Uh, one thing that it is important, though, when you get into this, that your mindset is right. I do feel like in my first one, um, it, it was lacking. So I don't know if I'd waited six more months, though, that it would have gotten where it needed to be ultimately, you know, I mean, you, you kind of, you've got to uh, take that action jump and start swimming, um, you know, and mitigate your risks through just those three pointers alone. It will save you thousands of dollars, I think. And uh, a lot of the other content that you've put out, I know there's some good pointers on that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, that's the most important thing I think is, is if, if you're risk averse, then that's fine. You know, just acknowledge that, but build that into your model and uh, leverage it, you know, so through partnerships and through being cautious, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's, it's smart, but uh, eventually you got to get off the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So although the listeners just learned to do surveys, inspections and partner or get a mentor, That'll solve a lot of the issues. I still have a question is how much did you lose on this deal? Uh, right at $20,000. Are you mad about it or do you think it was worth it and you are moving forward in life? Uh, glad that you learned those experiences. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, I'm not happy about it, but I, they, uh, I'm kind of one of those guys. I, uh, I'll forgive, but not forget. And it'll always be there in the back of my mind, but uh, not necessarily dwelling on uh, or just, uh, you know, it, nothing, nothing to be ashamed about. It, it's how it went, you know, but I've learned a lot. Uh, what it's led to is a partnership and different business opportunities and continued education and relationships and, and different, you know, so 
just a lot of things that if they hadn't transpired that way, who knows where I'd be. Uh, I Certainly, if I hadn't got started and taken a swing, you know, I'd potentially be just sitting around on the sidelines still, you know, so. Since then, you've done three or four deals with your partner who she is a realtor and you're doing these fix and flips, but by doing mortgage notes. Have you made money on these last three? Has it more than made up for this 20K or are you still working it off? Uh, yeah, no, we've, you know, so our objective with that thing is monthly cash flow. Okay. And through each of those deals, though, uh, for example, uh, just some simple math, you know, on a $100,000 note with 20% down, there's 20 grand. Um, we don't just split that down the middle and go our separate ways, but, you know, we leave some in the business and um, ultimate long story, you know, I'm chipping away at that number, but I don't see it as I need to make that up so that I can start back at zero. I'm just, you know, I'm building, um, you know, a, a, I have a longer term vision than just to get back to zero. I think it's very important to, actually have that longer term vision. Those people who are short-sighted are the ones that if they had a, a small failure or like Rod Cleave calls this a seminar, if they lost 20K, they'd be like, this doesn't work, but you do have that long-term vision and it seems to be working out great for you. Um, how much cash flow do you have today from those uh, four deals or three or yeah. four deals? So each of those does about $500 uh, a month in cash flow and how we get there is uh you know through low lower interest rate payments that we take out for our lenders uh that are in the first lien we have a second lien with the buyer that it's a higher interest rate and we keep a spread on that monthly uh, and then the good thing about notes from our perspective is you know there's no capex at the end of this where when the ac goes out it wipes out three years worth of uh, profit, you know, I mean, the, that profit's earned and it's not the AC companies. When my AC goes out at my house, I got, I can't call my bank. And so that's what we've tried to do is, is basically become the bank and put our lenders in a position where they're the bank as well. I love it. So right now it costs you about 20 K, but you're making two grand a month net. So I think your cap rate, I think you're doing okay. You know, you are chipping away at it, but it's more that 20 K that you spent to on that first deal through not partnering or not inspecting or not surveying, you're getting it back. I, I love it. I think it's great. It's inspirational. Uh, lots coming out of this. So tell me a little bit about this business model. I understand it a bit, but could you break it down? How are you buying it? How are you uh, renovating it? And how are you selling it? Yeah, you bet. So we're, we're looking, you know, uh, all of the, I guess I suppose traditional ways, like I said, the first one was through an auction, but, um, you know, pre foreclosures, we have a, a few, um, wholesalers that we're working with us in our target niche. So, uh, we're focused on the South part of Houston, uh, down to the, the coast there near Galveston. And, uh, there's some good target markets there that our price point is for, uh, homes, the after repair value to be under $120,000. Uh, and how we back into, um, you know, basically what we're going to finance to a new owner is uh, taking rental comps in the area, uh, whether it's multifamily, you know, apartment uh, comps, or uh, as far as the unit goes, how much that people are renting a month, or uh, other single family dwellings as well. Um, so, 
a simple example, if, if rent is at $1,200 a month, um, you know, what we'll do is take the $1,200 a month, we'll deduct the taxes and insurance that are, they're going to be required to pay. Uh, but nobody can do anything about that. Uh, and we'll come up with the principal and interest amount of $900. And that's basically what their budget is that they can afford uh, on that house. And um, so on this example where we did $100,000, we did $20,000 down. So their note was 80. Um, and their principal and interest payment to me was $909 a month. So right at uh, what it needed to be. Is that making sense? It's kind of, there's a lot of math flying around there. Yeah. So how are you finding the deal? Uh, that one was through a wholesaler. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And why do you like to stay under 120 per ARV? So, uh, what we're trying to do is, is maintain or, or cast as wide a net as possible to maintain our uh, price point at rent rates. So if I buy a $200,000 house and that gets into, you know, your rent is $2,000 a month, your, your mortgage payment, then I'm not comparable to the rental market and thus my pool of potential people who want to buy uh, that single family home goes down significantly. Okay, so you might buy it for 50, put in 20, and you sell it for 100, but on owner finance. Mm -hmm. What type of loan do you have in place, or are you all cash? Uh, to, from, uh, so we've we got two loans in place. One, it's a wrapped mortgage, ultimately. So we have, uh, in this example, I've got a lender in place with 8% interest only for five years. Uh, and then to our buyer, it's a 15-year uh, amortized mortgage note at 10 and a half percent. How does it help you if you have a five-year note that needs to be paid off 10 years before the 15-year note? One more time, five years. As I think what you said is that right now you have an interest-only loan hmm. at 8% for five years. That's, right. that's the loan that you have to pay back in five years. Right. But you also said that you have another loan to the buyer that has a 15-year term. Right. So what happens, how do you pay off the five-year interest-only loan 10 years before the other one is due? Yeah, that one, um, so the option then becomes we either need to move the note and sell it for its face value or roughly around there, uh, or we plug in another lender, but at that point, basically that uh, interest and principal payment catches up. The, the way an amortization schedule works is the front end of that thing is loaded with interest. So uh, something more traditional on a, on a 30 year amortized note, you don't catch up on the interest to like year 17 or something crazy like that. So almost half of your payments are, are heavy on the interest for the bank until the last end. And then you start chipping away at your principal actually. Um, so the same thing here. So after those five years, my principal and interest that I would owe on that $50,000 note uh, to my lender versus what my borrower uh, who bought the, uh, the asset from us in a wrap note, uh, it would be almost equal at that point, which, which we would then need to uh, basically adjust the um, first lien uh, payback period. Great. A lot, lot of really good info. I, I learned a lot and I appreciate you going through that. We're going to get into the final five, but right after these messages. 
The annual Raising Money Summit is coming up. This event is going to be the most valuable event you will attend. We have a top securities attorney covering all the legalities of raising money. We have an active syndicator covering the information needed in a sample deal package. We'll also be teaching the systems and processes of managing your investors. And we'll share the psychology behind the salesmanship for effectively attracting private capital. This event is the weekend of November 17th and 18th, and I know it'll sell out, so don't wait. We sold over 100 tickets in just the first 24 hours. Book your tickets now to the annual Raising Money Summit, which is in Denver. Find the details of the event in the show notes. All right, so the most creative deal you've done, I wanted to save this to the end. I think it's really interesting. You've, you've partnered up with some, some big names like Joe, Hunter, Paul, and more. You've done two large apartment deals. You've done a self-storage unit deal, and you've done a mobile home park deal, all with your mother's retirement account. Is that accurate? Yeah, the retirement account, uh, yeah, in essence. And she owns, or her retirement account owns, with four deals, over 1,000 units. Is that accurate, too? Yeah, she's she's passively invested in those syndicated deals, Uh on over a thousand doors, spaces, all that. Great. So um, let's talk about a little bit about this model. Um, how did you, how did you even think to do this? Um, yeah, I think again, getting back into my uh, exploration and education through how the wealthy create and protect wealth. You know, it's not um, sitting around hoping that the stock market goes through the roof or continues to do it without having its corrections and things like that. Um, so real estate is a tremendous tool to build wealth. And uh, in that particular, in her particular case where she can qualify to participate in some of these deals passively as an investor, um, there's just no better way, in my opinion, that I found to mitigate risk with all these multiple doors. You know, if, if, if I had her involved in single family rentals and somebody didn't pay their rent that month and she just didn't collect a check, you know, when she's involved in a 300-unit apartment deal and someone doesn't pay their rent, it's uh, it's not quite as big a deal. So um, that's that's one way that uh, we chose that particular niche. How you worded that was was very good. I liked how you said all that. You know, if she was involved in a single family and somebody didn't pay the rent, it, you should be basically screwed. Um, I like the way you think out of the box, like thinking about just going back to your your strategy that you're doing now, you're the bank. So you don't replace roofs. You don't replace uh, AC units or anything like that. It's, it's more of like a triple net. You get every single dollar that you're putting into it and you know that you're not going to have to come out with a water heater. And same thing with your mom. You, you look and say, okay, well, what are all of the directions that I could go to help her invest her 401k money or IRA money? How could I do that best? And you've found that multifamily is going a more safe or or secure asset for for your needs, and it seems to really be helping her out. I have a question. Most of these syndications that you're probably involved with, they have a minimum. They have a they have a minimum amount you're allowed to put in, and they probably have a maximum. So the minimum might be twenty five or fifty k, but the max might be four hundred or or a million. So my question to you is, as you 
are investing in these deals, uh, do you intentionally do a certain amount of money? Is it always a hundred? Is it always the minimum or is it always just as much as you can? Yeah. So at this point it's, it's always been, uh, I wouldn't say always the minimum, but it's around the 50 mark. And uh, so she's got, you know, X amount of dollars to play with and uh, you know, we're, we're um, risk averse ultimately, you know, to a certain extent, you know, we're trying to learn and make the most educated decision that we can. But um, from my basic knowledge of the way things work, diversification is an important thing. So not only um, where, where you have your money specifically in an asset class, but geographically located as well. Um, you know, for example, I live in Houston and uh, there's, there's a lot of different, um, you know, um, industries there. And, uh, so if the oil and gas goes down, there's, there's a big medical, uh, presence there as well. Some cities where that's not the case. Um, and I know y'all get into that in your multifamily and as far as due diligence, but it's an important component to understand, uh, those submarkets, how they're diversified and, for example, you know, I mean, we have some stuff, like you mentioned, with each of those guys. Each of those guys is involved in a different market, not all of them in one particular state or region even. So um, that's our approach to that is um, diversification in that regard as well. A lot of, lot of great info. Thank you for kind of going into your creative deals and what you're doing with that. I have four more questions. Um, the next one, what's a book you recommend to the listeners? Yeah, so this is one I'm I'm in right now. It's called Family Inc. Uh, by Doug McCormick. And so, I, you know, coming down this a year or two ago after the accident and going through the, um, you know, just the interest in uh, trying to figure out how wealth is created and made and uh, why people do what they do uh, in each of these specific niches, um, you know, made me take a real hard look at our financial position in my household and uh, what we weren't doing well and some of the things that we may have been doing well as well. But uh, ultimately, this this book is is gets into basically running your family's finances like you would a business as a chief financial officer. Um, you know, so what's the strategy? Um, how do you communicate internally with your however you want to look, you know, you, you to me, I, I look at my wife, obviously, as a, a partner uh, in life, as well as, you know, I mean, she's buying the groceries and spending the, the money, the cash flow, yeah, so she plays a critical role in our business for our household, so that's how I look at it, some people may be different, but uh, anyway, it, it makes sense for me. I like it a lot, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, where were you five years ago from today? Yeah. Um, five years ago, um, let's see, I was single, uh, probably living in that bachelor pad and, uh, just traveling a bunch working for my W2 job. Um, so not very strategic on spending or doing anything in, with purpose, I would say. Where will you be five years from today? Yeah, I, I'm really focused on, um, you know, cash flow producing income streams at this point. So through our business, Noteflow, and uh, some of these other types of uh, deals so through the syndications that, that you guys put on and um, that um, it, it ultimately, yeah, I just, I'm focused on that. I want to be able to spend tons of time uh, just making good memories with my family. Uh, so having those 
uh, tools in place and the teams built out and those relationships that uh, uh, hopefully by that time or, or even further along and thriving will put me in a position where I can really take advantage of that time freedom. Mm. How do you give back? Uh, I give back through uh, junior achievement, uh, through teaching um, there at the high school. Just when I was going through my learning process on this uh, over the past few years, it's fascinating to me how little, if anything, really we were taught about even the basics of, uh, you know, a checkbook balance or uh, how to finance a car or how do you pay your taxes or anything. I mean, it's just not taught in school. You have to do it all on your own. So I get in there and, and uh, I went to school initially to teach. So I enjoy getting back out there in the room and, uh, you know, talking to those kids and just listening to things they got going on and trying to figure out uh, maybe how I can help them when they get out of school here in a year or two. Yeah. So I have got one last question. How do people find you? How do they find your company or get a hold of you? The, uh, I guess, most consolidated way, I've got a couple things going on, but I, I do host a podcast called The Cashflow Hustle, and we have a website, thecashflowhustle.com, and uh, on there, uh, my email is jgrimes at thecashflowhustle.com. Excellent. I really appreciate you coming on. I got a lot of value out of what you shared with us. I appreciate you doing that. And uh, until next time, my friend, think outside the box. As always, thank you for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. This is Adam Adams with a reminder that any deal that we share on this podcast is for accredited investors only. However, if you want to raise money with us, you can always be a part of one of our deals. We do have that 400 plus unit that's in Atlanta, Georgia, just a hot, hot market that we're excited to be closing. And I want you to close it with us. So if you want to raise money with us, or if you're passive, you want to join and be a part of these 400 plus doors, would love to have you. And as always, leave us a five-star rating and review and get one of these happiness is passive cash flow mugs.